0: And hey, you guys can be seated. Hey, my name is Mark. If uh, you are new or newer here, we've not had a chance to meet. I'm on staff here. I'm one of the pastors and I oversee our next steps process. And so if you're new and you want to start to talk about what it looks like to get involved, maybe through serving, possibly through getting involved in a group, I would love to talk with you about what that looks like. So you can text the word next and let me know that. You can go to the website, find my email, shoot me an email and say, I want to talk about getting involved and we can set up a time and do that. As we continue in our series this morning, The Blessed Life, I'd like to start with telling you a story about what I usually talk about and that is my kids. Kids provide great sermon material. It's just rich, rich stuff. So we live we don't live in the country, but if you come to our house it sort of feels like we're in the country. There's farms all around us and there's some undeveloped lots next to us. So there's about 7 acres of woods next to us. We are really good friends with our neighbors. So our kids have quite a bit of freedom in our neighborhood. You might think too much freedom after this story. And so they're allowed to kind of go and play. We encourage, get outside and go do something productive with your time. And they're required to tell us where they're going and what they're doing. Like, don't just run out the house. Tell us where you're going, what you're doing. And so there was a beautiful day. This several years ago. I am sure that my son told me what he was getting ready to do. I feel pretty confident. He's a pretty good rule follower. He probably came and said, Dad, me and the boy next door, we're going into the woods. I don't know if I ever heard that, to be honest. I was probably in the middle of a project. and was like, yeah, 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 okay, and went on with what I was doing. So him and his buddy, they they go off into the woods. Beautiful day to be a little kid stomping around in the woods. It's great. They're gone for a while, and they come back into the yard, and you can see they are filthy. I mean, they are covered head to toe in mud. And part of me's like, that's good. You know, like go out and, and just be a kid. And so, you know, they're playing in the yard. I can kind of see them. And eventually it's time to come in and get cleaned up. Time to come in and get washed up. And as he's coming towards the house, he's complaining of itching. He's like, ah, I'm, I'm itching. I'm irritable. I'm mad, you know? And so my wife is getting him ready to get, get him in the bath. And so as she gets ready to get him in, that's when she discovers this is not mud all over him. These are, I don't know how many little ticks all over his body. I love it. Every mom in here is like oh, vomit. He is covered in little seed ticks. He and his buddy had gone through the woods and somehow got infested. It wasn't specks of mud all over him. It were—it was ticks. So you can imagine once he discovers this, what his reaction is. I mean, he's full blown tears, right? His mom is panicking. I'm yelling, why didn't you tell me where you were going? And I'm sure he did. And it was a, it was a process to get them all removed. They were everywhere, if you understand. And so, it's a, it was a painful process. I, by the way, I ran this story by him, and he said, that's fine, dad, you can share this. So, I mean, it was a painful process to get them all removed. It was a little bit of an embarrassing process for him, to discover where all these things were and to get them all off his body. The neighborhood boy is still alive, so I assume they picked all the ticks off of him too. Right? But he was covered, and finally we get him cleaned up. Finally he's settled in, and his mom can start stop panicking. He stops crying. I stop yelling. And now we can share that story with you and laugh about it. You know, but I think there's a similarity between that little boy and getting covered in those ticks in our lives as adults. I'm going to switch and talk spiritually now. Isn't the same true in our spiritual lives that we can live this life and it's a beautiful life to live. We've got one and we go through life and yet it seems somehow we just get dirty, don't we? And in our soul, in our heart, we're living life and we're having fun, but then all of a sudden we kind of look up and we're like, man, I'm I'm filthy. I got some stuff going on in my soul. It's just not healthy and it's it's disrupting my life. And so sometimes we're like that little kid who needs to get cleaned up. Who needs to be made holy, made pure again. And so friends, today we're going to talk about what it looks like to be made clean. In scripture, the word pure or holy or clean can sometimes be used kind of interchangeably. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to be pure in heart. We're continuing in our series called The Blessed Life, and Jesus is going to instruct us on what it means for us to be pure in heart and what the result of that is. But I need to tell you that, The end product is beautiful. Being cleaned up is great. The process to get there sometimes can be a little bit painful. It can be a little bit painful. For some of you, it can be a little bit embarrassing. You may have some things going on in your soul you don't want other people to know about. And so sometimes it can be a little embarrassing to share what's going on in here. There might be some tears for some of you, but I think that's a price worth paying to be clean inside, don't you? To be pure in heart. And so hang with me today as we walk through some scripture and process what it looks like to be made pure in heart so that we can see God. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 8. He says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. It's a process, but I think the end product will be good. Let me ask you, what is clogging your heart? Now, I should probably give you a disclaimer. I am not a medical doctor. I, you laughed. I, you don't think I could get there? I am not a cardiologist. Okay, around here we work on the spiritual side of the heart. We work in the spiritual world. So I cannot give you medical advice, but I'm gonna talk a lot about heart health today from a spiritual Lens, But there's so much similarity because God created the system that runs our bodies as well as the system that runs our spiritual life. And there's some parallels there. And so let me ask you this question today. what What is clogging your heart? I think we have a slide on that. What is clogging your heart? If you were following along in the notes today, you have a blank and you can write that in. Now, I said I'm not a cardiologist, but I think we all know... Poor eating habits and hard living is hard on the heart. Yes? Right? We know over time, if we do poor things, bad results happen in our heart. And our spiritual life is the same. Our hearts get clogged up at times. It was just build up. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's a sin that we keep committing over and over and it just builds the plaque and it's like it restricts the flow of life that God designed for us to live. Sometimes it's a, it's a stronghold. It's something that you just keep bumping up against regularly. It may not be a sin, but it's something you keep tripping over as you try to get closer to Jesus. Sometimes it's just, we get we get things built up in here. from It's just the residual effects of living in a broken world, right? We live in a world that's not good. There's a lot of impurity and and it can rub off on us. So sometimes our hearts get clogged up, not necessarily because of anything we've done, but just the effects of living in a broken world. I asked a few people this week this question. I said, what's clogging your heart? And they gave a variety of answers and they're on the screen behind me, actually, the larger screen, where you can see kind of what's going on in some people's hearts. Just look through that list. Is there any on there that you... Recognize. Shame, anger, bitterness, lust, frustration, negative self-talk. I mean, so many things that will, that will just clog up our heart and cor- it corrodes under the weight of these things. We all have something. We all have something that we are dealing with that just gets in the way of the life we are meant to live in Christ. It makes us feel kind of Unclean. Now, before you poke your neighbor or point at your spouse, do you know anyone who's a hypochondriac? They're always Something's always wrong with them. WebMD is their favorite browser, All right. Like there's always something wrong with them. I started thinking this week, I'm like, what's the opposite of a hypochondriac? What's the opposite of someone who thinks there's something wrong with them? And I found a medical term that I can't pronounce, but I'll tell you it exists. And it's a condition that creates in the brain a block that you literally cannot acknowledge that there's something wrong with you. It's found mostly in dementia patients and people with severe mental illness. I'm not saying you're demented, but do you think we ever live our lives in a state of ignorance? Do you think we ever live our Christian lives assuming there is nothing wrong? Even though we sort of know deep down there is but we kind of put it in this box over here. I'm not gonna deal with that. As long as I have a lid on it, it can't hurt me. I'm just gonna ignore this problem that I know I have. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ignore dealing with the shame from my childhood. I'm just gonna put it all back here, put it behind me. I'm over that. Are you over that? Are you over the effects of that? I think sometimes we live our Christian lives in that condition where we just think there's nothing really wrong and we don't wanna take the time to really acknowledge there's something in our heart that needs to be cleansed. Now that's, that medical terminology is not in the Bible. But there is a passage I want to share with you that I think kind of describes that sort of mindset. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen. It's from James. He says, do not merely listen to the word and do, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. After looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. When we look into the word of God, it will expose things in us. And the healthy person, the maturing person, will acknowledge it and deal with it. And those who are unhealthy and who don't want to grow in their spiritual walk will deny it. They'll walk away saying, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything is Fine, you know this phrase. So I'd encourage you today to stop neglecting if there's something going on in your soul. Stop diminishing it. Don't pretend it isn't there, but to reveal it, to allow it to be cleaned. And so maybe you're asking yourself, okay, I need to acknowledge that I have a problem. I need to acknowledge there's something going on sometimes in my heart and my soul that I know gets in the way of me living a healthy life with Jesus. But then of course the question is, well, how do I clean it? How do I clean my heart? How do you clean your heart? And I need you to know this is not something we can do of our own power. We try to sometimes, don't we? I think every self-help book is trying to answer this question. They're just missing the ultimate source of power and that is the Holy Spirit that will help clean us from the inside out. Now, I've never, I've never had my heart operated on. Some of you probably have, right? You've like had heart surgeries and, you know, doctors, anytime you go in, there, like, it's a simple procedure. We do this all the time. I'm like, it's the first time for me, doc. All right, like you're cutting open my chest and running a cable through my artery. Like, that's a big deal. That sounds pretty invasive, doesn't it? Friends, I have to tell you, the process of being cleansed sometimes is invasive. Jesus just, don't, just doesn't tinker on us from the outside. He works on us from the inside. Side. It's a, it's a invasive process now that might intimidate you a little bit, but I don't know that tinkering on a clogged artery is going to do a whole lot. It requires an invasive procedure to remove whatever's blocking your heart. And the same can be true in our spiritual lives. We call this process kind of a biblical term that we'll use in, in the church world to describe being made pure or holy or being made clean as a word called sanctification. That's a big, fancy church word for you. That just basically means the process of becoming more and more like Christ. That every day we surrender a little bit more of ourselves, allow him to clean us up just a little bit more from the inside out, knowing that we'll never be perfect. The goal of this is not to do the right things so that you're saved. The goal is to honor God and and the sacrifice he made as you begin to allow your heart to be made pure. We call that Sanctification. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, this is, I've never heard that word, first of all. Second, you're like, haven't I already been made clean? Like I was baptized in water. Hasn't that made me clean? And the answer is yes, from a legal point of view. You see, you and I are lawbreakers. Anybody ever been pulled over by the police? Oh, you raised your hand. You're brave. <laughs> if you've broken one law, you are a lawbreaker. That's the way it works. You you broke the law. And in scripture, it says that if we we sin, if we break a law, we are a lawbreaker. None of us are exempt from that. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all broken God's law. Jesus did not. He lived a perfect life. And so he was able to be our substitute, to take the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. We call that in kind of church world justification. Two fancy church words for you this morning. Justification. That Jesus died on your behalf. He paid the penalty that you deserved, and so your record is wiped clean. When God looks at you, he sees Christ and what he did on the cross. And so from a legal perspective, you have been your record has been wiped clean. But you would never tell your child, hey, you only need one bath and you're clean the rest of your life. That makes no sense. Now I'm not saying you need to get baptized every Sunday because you're dirty. It's an analogy. Work with me. The idea being justification, yes, cleansed you of your sins. You you are now forgiven in Christ, but that then enters you into a relationship where you are walking with Jesus daily. He says, I've come to give an abundant life. So many of us stop when we get saved. So many of us just stop and we think that's the arrival point. I've been saved. I don't have to do anything else. And so I would say if you're in the same spiritual or emotional condition that you were in when you got baptized or when you first started attending church, you've not really given yourself to the process of cleansing. You've not really given yourself to the process of sanctification. You're just laying back and resting on the fact that Jesus died for you. And that's a beautiful thing. There can be no sanctification without first being made justified in Christ. But if that's where we stop, what happens is we are stunted in our growth And that's why you can have a 50-year-old man who's having a spiritual crisis even though he's gone to church his whole life because he's never truly given in to the process of being made clean by Christ. Sometimes we think, well, I got saved. What I need to do now is go to church, learn more about the Bible, and I'm good. And what happens is we think biblical knowledge and church attendance is the marker of spiritual maturity. And it's really not. Obedience is the marker of true spiritual maturity obeying what you know as it is revealed to you. You see, we're called to be made clean in Christ. We're never gonna get there. It's not perfection, and we're not doing it to try to earn our salvation. We're doing it to honor what Jesus did for us. I think James gives us a good illustration of what it looks like maybe to be made clean, to be made holy, to be made pure, in heart. Look at this passage with me. James says it like this. He says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you're taking notes, there's three words I really wanna lift out of this text and help us understand today as a way to begin this process that we can do daily to be cleaned up from the filth that builds up because of life. And it's not sequential. It's not in, it's not do this, then this, then this. We like that, don't we? When someone tells me, just do this, this, and this. These are three things we do together that will help us become pure and hard. And the first thing I would say is resist the devil. He says, be humble. And a way to do that is to resist the devil. And he will flee from you. You're probably familiar with the group Alcoholics Anonymous. It's shortened to AA. There are other versions of that for those who deal with other addictions. You know what you'll never hear in an AA meeting? You should drink in moderation. You'll never hear that. You'll you'll never hear at an AA meeting, the key to a healthy life is balanced drinking. You'll never hear that because it's just not true. The key to sober living is to resist that thing at every turn, to create distance between yourself and whatever it is that you've become addicted to. Friends, that's how we have to view the enemy. We have to view him, we have to put distance between ourselves and the enemy. Because if we don't, the door is cracked open. The Bible calls that a foothold for the enemy. And a cracked door for the devil is a wide open door for the devil. And so we have to resist him all the time to put distance between ourselves and the things we know that are not good for us so that we can resist him. And the Bible says he will flee because ain't nobody got time for that. He's got other souls he's got to work on. And so he'll flee from you if you choose to resist him and come closer to Christ. Look how Paul describes resisting the enemy in Ephesians 6. You've heard this before, it's the armor of God but just follow along, it says Ephesians six, ten through seventeen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Notice it's not your power, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, catch this, so that when the day of evil comes, you notice he said when, not if, if you've ever, you know, there's a lot we can learn from people who are overcoming addictions. They'll tell you, it's not if I get tempted again, it's when I get tempted again. You see, we have to, we have to know that we will be tempted Just because you believe in Jesus and he has saved you doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted in life. It doesn't mean the enemy is not going to try to attack you and send you off course, right? The day is coming when you will be tempted and you will struggle. And he says, so do these things so that you're prepared to resist him. The worst plan you can have is to not have a plan. You'll give in every time because you've not decided ahead of time what you're going to do. So he says, do this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We don't have time this morning to go through every piece of that armor. There are some great studies that have been written about that where it can break it down. Why did he arrange it in that way? Here's the big picture. Be ready. Put on your armor daily. Be ready because the enemy will attack. So if we wanna resist him, create a plan and resolve to follow it. Resist him daily. If we go back to James, he has a phrase. He says, wash your hands. Wash your hands. That can be symbolic of something we call confession. So the second word I want to give you is confess. Confess. Wash your hands can be symbolic for confess what's going on. Now, that word confession can have a, a lot of different meaning for you depending on your faith tradition and your background. For some of you in some church context to confess would be like to, to show weakness. So I better not tell anybody what's really going on in my life because I would be seen as weak. Uh, some of you maybe it meant you had to go into a room with a, a holy person and tell them what's going on and hope that they had special direct access to God to help forgive you of your sins. And maybe now the modern confessional is social media where you're just gonna blast all your dirty laundry and hope people feel bad for you, right? You ever read a post, you're like, good grief, you didn't need to tell everybody that. There is wisdom and discernment that goes along with that. None of those are healthy forms or biblical forms of confession. Confession simply means sharing with God regularly what's going on in here and sharing that with others who you know that will help you. It's a twofold process. It's confessing to God, yes, and then confessing to others who can help you navigate that journey. Listen to two scriptures here that kind of support this. James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And John says, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're gonna put on the screen again all those things that clog up our hearts. We're gonna put that behind me again. And I just want you to take a moment. I wanna challenge you. If there's something on that list that you resonate with, would you write it down? Maybe make a mental note, take out your phone and type it in. If, if If a word on that list kind of spurs something else in you and you're like, yeah, this is something I really struggle with, would you write it down? Sometimes the first step to being cleansed is to know that you have a problem. So write it down. Make a mental note. What is it? that I really have going on inside of here that I need help being cleaned from. Some of you are thinking, I mean, I don't know, I feel pretty clean. I'd say, watch out. You might be the dirtiest of us all. You might need to confess that because none of us are truly clean. But then some of you might be thinking, I'm too dirty to be made clean. And I'd say, watch out because God has a way of taking people that think they're too dirty and turning them into powerful followers of him. The Old Testament gives us witnesses to that. So there's none of us that get to escape the fact that we have some uncleanliness in our souls. And so what is it for you that's clogging up your heart? And you know, if you ignore it, eventually it will give you a heart attack. Now, I don't mean like a literal heart attack, a spiritual crisis. It seems like it's regularly we experience someone who's later in life, 50, 60 years old, who's dealing with a spiritual heart attack, a spiritual crisis, because they never really dealt with what was going on inside of here. They just ignored it, neglected it, pretended it wasn't there until eventually it caught up with them. And now they're in some sort of spiritual crisis. And from the outside looking in, you're like, I see a thread. There were so many moments when you could have confessed and dealt with these things and you chose just to put it way over here, but it doesn't disappear just because I block it out of my mind. It still exists. So I would challenge you to find what it is that's going on in your heart. And then do this this week. Confess it to God and at least one other person you know that can help you through that. Confess it to God and confess it to one other person. If you're in rooted, any, any rooted people? There you go. This week is strongholds. It's the perfect time for you to really let go of what's going on inside of here. Maybe you've been in rooted and you're sort of like, I'm sort of in, but I'm not fully in. I would encourage you to go all in this week and share what's going on in here. There's a, I met a young man recently who he had to share some stuff that was going on and he did not want to share it. He had been holding it for a long time and had never really shared it with people and he was embarrassed and didn't want to. But after he did, he said, I feel so much freedom. I feel lighter Friends, that's a heart that's becoming pure. That's a heart that's experiencing what it means to be cleaned in Christ. So confess it to God and confess it to one other person. If you're in a small group, I would fight the urge. Sometimes in church, we like to get together and talk about the Bible. It's something we do. You know, It's pretty good to do that. However, sometimes that's where we stop. And we never really talk about what's going on in here. So we got a whole bunch of biblical knowledge, but not a whole lot of emotional health. And those two things... They gotta be dealt with together. And so fight the temptation if you're in a small group just to show up, read some scriptures, talk about the Bible and then leave. Confess to each other what's going on in your life so that you can pray for each other because the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. Fight that temptation just to show up for church and assume things are good. Here's a third word I would encourage you with today and that is focus. Resist the devil confess what's going on and focus on Christ. This is not a step-by-step process. We do these three things together. We resist the enemy as we're confessing what's going on in our heart as we focus on Christ. We focus on him. And you might ask, well, how do I do that? How do I focus in a world full of distraction? How do I focus on Christ? It's, It's not as hard as we make it out to be. I'd say the first thing you gotta do is read his word as often as you can. Read Scripture as often as you can. I saw I saw a funny video the other day. It said if we read our Bibles like we check our phones, and I mean the guy's standing at the urinal reading his Bible. He's he's over here. You know, it's like you think about the places we read our phone. We look at our phone. If we if we read our Bibles like we checked our phones, how much more we could be transformed? I'd encourage you to read as often as you can. Pray as regularly as you can. I mentioned rooted. I, one of my favorite experiences as I facilitate rooted groups is watching when I say, can someone pray? And it's beautiful because it's an awkward silence. I mean, we just sit there and I'm okay with that. I just let the space be. Inevitably, somebody's like, I got to break the tension. And so they pray. But undoubtedly, they'll say, this was my first time ever praying in front of another person. Friends, that's a heart getting cleaned from fear of saying the wrong words. You see, it's not a, our prayers are not about how eloquent they sound or using all the right language. It's a surrendered heart to say, God, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what's going on. And then listen for how he might respond to that. So I'd say do that as regularly as you can. I would say worship consistently with others. We do this every Sunday for a reason. We gather regularly because we need it, don't we? I tell you what, my heart can get dirty just from, from Sunday afternoon to Wednesday evening. That's just the way life works, isn't it? Things come at your way and you're like, man, I, I need to get cleaned up again. i got something. I got some judgment going on in here. I've got some pride going on in here. I've got some fear going on in here. I need somebody to help me navigate that. And so we gather regularly to worship. Uh, research right now says the average church attender goes once every four or six weeks. I don't know about you, but if, if I eat hamburgers every day and I eat a salad, one out of six meals, I don't think it's going to prevent me from having a heart attack. Like we know that about our physical health, don't we? The same is true in our spiritual health. If you come to church one every, once every four weeks or every six weeks, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of transformation in your life because you're not putting yourself in a context to be made clean. There's no one to speak into you. There's nowhere for you to hear the good news of the gospel of Christ. And so I would encourage you, you know, church in your pajamas works when you're sick, but that's not a regular recipe for health and transformation. And so worship regularly with those who are on the same journey as you, looking to be made holy in Christ. I would say group with others. Be in a group of people that you can share things with, that you can say, this is what I'm dealing with and know that they're not going to judge you. They're just gonna pray with you and then follow up. How's that going? How can I help? Serve with other people. If you've ever served anyone and really saw their face light up after you've helped them, that's a good feeling, isn't it? That's a heart being purified as we help others. So serve someone else. It's amazing when we put ourselves out of out of our way, what God can do through us. And so maybe you've fallen asleep or you've tuned out. Let me kind of say everything I said in one sentence, okay? If you didn't hear anything, here it is. Resist the devil, Confess what's going on in your soul. Focus on him. And as a result, what will happen is our hearts will be made clean. We'll become pure in heart. And Jesus says, and that's when you will see God. Isn't that a beautiful picture the scripture gives us? On your way in today, you picked up some communion items. You can take those out. Just wanna kind of focus our minds here a little bit before we take communion. Anybody love a good sunrise? I love a good sunrise, and it's probably because I don't get up early enough to see them regularly. So everyone's like, ha this is amazing. But every fall and into the early winter, uh, I go hunting. It's just a, something, a hobby I've, I've kind of developed and enjoy doing. And I better look forward to something other than getting a deer because I, <laughs> that's not been my luck so far. But you sit out and you're you're just waiting. It's quiet. You're sitting in a stand in a tree before the sun ever comes up. You wanna be out there well before daylight begins to break. But you're sitting there and you before you ever see the light, you can sense that it's coming. The sky kind of begins to light up a little bit. The, the woods kind of come to life. You hear the, the wind start to pick up. You hear the animals start to kind of move around. You can even kind of begin to feel the warmth of the weather beginning to change. Like the sun still hasn't broken above the horizon, but you can sort of feel the warmth that's already starting to come from the sunlight. Friends, I think kind of being pure in heart, being clean, is sort of like that. You see, we're waiting for the sun to rise, we're waiting to join heaven, we're waiting for our eternal home. But that doesn't mean we have to live in sorrow until then and in defeat. You see, he says we can be made pure and we can see him. The word that Jesus uses to to describe being seen is sort of a dual purpose. It doesn't mean just waiting to see Jesus in the end. It means to see him now as we wait to see him forever. And so much like that sunrise, we can feel the warmth of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Our lives can be transformed. Things can come to life for us as long as we're resisting the enemy and we're confessing what's going on in here, and we're focusing on him, we will see him, and we will see mighty things that he can do in our lives and in our hearts if we would just be pure in heart, and then we could see God. I'm gonna pray for you, and then we're gonna take communion as you're ready. God, thank you for saving us. None of this means anything if you didn't die on the cross and raised from the dead. And so God, we don't try to put ourselves and cleaning ourselves up ahead of what you've done for us. Thank you for for cleaning us up of our sin, trading your perfection for our unrighteousness, burying that in the grave and rising again. But God, we pray that while we wait to see you forever in glory that we give ourselves over to you and surrender that daily we allow you to purify our hearts so that we can see you god this world is hard to live in you know that jesus you faced rejection you faced persecution you know what it feels like to live this life and so you give us insight into how to be made pure while we wait to be made perfect in you so I pray for those of us who have been following you a long time that we haven't become numb to the fact that our hearts sometimes get cluttered up and clogged up and help us to confess those things. And God, I pray for those who have yet to really give themselves to you. Sometimes if we get it backwards. We wanna try to clean ourselves up before we come to you. No, we come to you and then allow you to clean us up over a lifetime. So God, we're just gonna take some time now. We're gonna remember your sacrifice and reflect on what we need to do to be pure in heart. Because God, I think I can speak on these people's behalf. We want to see you. We want to see you forever in heaven. but We want to see glimpses of you now to feel your warmth. To experience the life that you've given us. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.